Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Relax while we lovingly drizzle weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we'll feature Nikola Tesla, Doc Ock, and Element 117. But first, here's the news with Aaron Cook. Russian and American scientists have discovered the newest super-element, element 117. The two-year-long experiment started with 250 days irradiation of americium-241, which has an atomic number of 95. The two-year-long experiment started with 250 days irradiation of americium-241, with atomic number 95, in the world's most intense neutron flux, to produce 22 milligrams of berkelium-249, which has atomic number 97. The berkelium was then bombarded with calcium ions for 150 days to produce element 117, and the timing was driven by the 320-day half-life of berkelium-249. After all of that bombardment, just six atoms of element 117 were produced, and experimenters then observed the decay of the element down from 117 to 115, 113 and so on, through alpha decay, and then finally uh, through fission of one of the uh, lighter elements. The discovery brings researchers one step closer to the theoretical island of stability, where physicists believe super-heavy elements beyond the known periodic table would exhibit increased stability and longer half-lives, making them easier to experiment with. Doc Ock is the archetypical comic book mad scientist. Mark West spoke to Chris Pettigrew, Dr. Boob, on how to become Doc Ock. Uh, Dr. Octopus, also known as Doc Ock, or his full name is Dr. Otto Gunther Octavius, played by Alfred Molina in Spider-Man 2. He's the Spider-Man villain, and most Spider-Man villains actually arise as a result of scientific accidents, which, according to some people, makes them all the more plausible and realistic. So he's our quintessential mad scientist, I suppose. But uh, in addition to having nearsightedness and a stocky figure, he also goes a little bit mad following an accident and the death of his wife. And in this accident, he has four powerful mechanical appendages or limbs fused to his his body. Okay. And what was what was his name again? Otto Gunther Octavius. Otto Gunther Octavius. That's a brilliant name. He was never ever going to become anything else but Doc Ock, was he? No, that's, it's, the octopus just perfectly fits, especially <laughs> given that he um, <laughs> gets four additional limbs, making a grand total of eight. And so, how did how did he get four additional limbs? What was he what was he playing with at the time to to make this happen? Well, he his uh, official job description would have been nuclear and atomic physics researcher slash lecturer slash inventor. Okay. 
and uh, he designed these four mechanical arms to help aid his research and experiments. Okay. And so it was basically to help him lift heavy objects as well as designed to be sort of resistant to magnetic forces and radiation and so on. So they just allow him to do things that you know, a human couldn't possibly do. Okay, and, and as a researcher of some note yourself, have you ever uh, invented such such limbs for your own work around the lab? Uh, I, I haven't had much cause um, apart from general efficiency, <laughs> uh, which would have been good, but... Beakers and pipettes uh, aren't that heavy, really, are they? No, the, the average um, tube with five microliters of liquid in it doesn't require a lot of strength, <laughs> I have to admit. So, so, and so we've got these, these limbs uh, that he's using to, to lift heavy objects and they're, 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 they're impervious to magnetic fields so he can play mm. around with uh, dangerous substances and in dangerous environments, I guess. The limbs themselves uh, have some artificial intelligence uh, component and he interacts with them via a brain-computer interface and this there's a neural inhibitor chip which is destroyed during the accident and that has two sort of effects one that it's then fuses to his spine but then the other effect is that the artificial intelligence is then able to manipulate his brain and his mood and character as such oh okay so he designs these limbs to have artificial intelligence and to interact with his brain, and he's uh, yep. developed a, a neuro inhibitor to stop there being any uh, interference, so to speak. But yep. uh, in in this uh, nuclear accident, that breaks down, and uh, the the artificial intelligence starts to take over him. That's right. That's that's pure uh, comic brilliance, isn't it? <laughs> Fair enough. So that so that's brilliant. So on if we were to try and make these limbs, leaving aside the artificial intelligence for the mm. moment, uh, if we were to try and look at the robotics side of this, uh, yep. this sounds plausible. Sure. Uh, well, reasonably. <laughs> <laughs> so we can look at um, the, the history of artificial limbs to start with, I guess. And, okay. uh, the first known real artificial limb was called the Roman Capua leg and dates from 300 BC. Oh, right. It was made of copper and wood. However, yes. have been tombs found in Egypt with uh, ancient Egyptians buried with artificial toes. Okay. But they're not sure whether these were used in life or not. And these date back to about 1295 BC. Okay, so artificial limbs have been around with us for some time. Yeah, but they didn't become really popular until the Napoleonic Wars and American Civil War. All right. And the, the real um, gold standard uh, artificial limb in the 19th century was the Anglesey leg which was developed by James Potts in 1800 or so. Mm -hmm. And it was named after the Marquess of Anglesey, who lost his leg at the Battle of Waterloo. Okay. And, and this leg has a full wooden shaft and socket, a steel knee joint, an articulated foot with artificial cords, usually made of catgut. And these acted as tendons and you know, connected the flexing knee to flexing foot and so on. That's pretty impressive for the 1800s. I was imagining just sort of... The pirate peg leg, but uh, these sound <laughs> fairly sophisticated, really. Yeah. And so uh, modern artificial limbs, I guess, are becoming even more real, I guess. There's exactly. far more control uh, these days? Um, certainly there's a lot more control. Um, uh, recently we were you know, looking at, say, cable-operated limbs with harness and cables and, and so on like that, but 
these days have even been superseded by myoelectric is how they're um, described and these these sort of semi-robotic arms I guess um, sense uh, using electrodes when muscles in the upper arm say for example or, or leg might move in a way that would be suggesting walking or movements and they these sensors are able to sense these muscle movement and then transfer that to the electrical motors and the, the prosthetic limb. Oh, that's fascinating. And I imagine uh, the brain in turn learns how the limb works and people with such artificial limbs can be quite, can be quite adept at using them. Yeah, so the, the brain plasticity is the key thing there and you're able to achieve much more. I mean, there's, there are those prosthetic limbs where they literally attach sensors to, say, the, the pectoral muscle uh, on your chest and connect those muscles down through to what would be you know the sensors in the arm and you can even these days use artificial hands and so they're able to to grip uh things using these artificial hands by you know tensing certain areas of the the pectoral muscle well that's fascinating so you you learn to use a completely different part of your body Oh, that's that's really fascinating. It's not an easy uh, process, but it's certainly done. But then there's uh, new work to take it that step even further, where they're implanting computer chips directly in the brain. Right. And so, say, quadriplegics have been able to use these to, to grip things with artificial limbs or operate a computer mouse. Or there's even a guy in the States now who can think certain things and the computer chip in his brain will say, turn the television on and move the mouse on a computer screen and change the channel on the TV and that sort of thing. Yeah, I've heard of uh, people playing Space Invaders, I think, just mm. by using their brains. That's absolutely fascinating stuff. A little bit Neo from the Matrix, isn't it? That's a, that's a little bit Neo from the Matrix. Uh, it's, all, it's all quite Matrix-like, really. So what we're saying is... It, Forgetting about this uh, bizarre accident, in theory, we probably could put uh, limbs connected to somebody's spine or to their muscles. Uh, on, we on could their either back or connect something. directly to the muscles or even just do the computer chip in the brain and perhaps transmitting wirelessly through to the limbs. Okay. So that's, that's a little way off, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility. I think if we can change TV channels, we might be able to... Step that onto, say, remote control cars and then step it up to robotic limbs. I and think that's quite reasonable. I think that's quite reasonable. And where does the um, uh, artificial intelligence come in? Uh, well, this is, this is a very difficult concept for someone like me who struggles with intelligence, let alone artificial <laughs> intelligence. Uh, so the bit that I found kind of curious in the movie in terms of the artificial intelligence was that the limbs have their own self-survival instinct. Oh, so right. There's a scene relatively early in the movie after the accident where doctors are trying to remove the harness and limbs from Dr. Otto Octavius and the limbs start fighting back and they take out the doctors and he escapes. And throughout this whole process, Otto himself is unconscious. In terms of preservation, I'm not sure how limbs or how robotic limbs would be able to sense danger in that, that regard. They'd perhaps need cameras and microphones. And That's really interesting because we, we take this massive uh, leap that the, the limbs will want to defend themselves, 
and mm. that they've got some self-awareness. But yeah, there's the, the more basic problem of how are they sensing the danger around them? How do they know exactly. that? Yeah, they need, they need cameras and such things. But presumably, if it's doing a lot of heavy lifting and, and manipulating of, of physics experiments, they must have uh, cameras in there if they're relatively uh, aware doing it all themselves, doing all these experiments themselves. So they must be, uh, they must have cameras built in, I guess. Yeah, well, potentially. We don't really know. We could certainly build in cameras and, and microphones to our robotic limbs, but then it's it's more than just the sensory input, it's the analysis of that input, and then, okay, so this doctor actually is going to cause me harm, rather than there's a doctor with a mask with a spanner, on. yeah. What so, does that mean? Yeah, this seems a little bit beyond current robotics, doesn't it? Uh, and certainly artificial intelligence, yeah. That was Mark West and Chris Pettigrew, telling us how to be almost, but not yet, become Doc Ock. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio, Diffusion at 2SER.com, brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast around the world on www.diffusionradio.com. And next up, Victoria Bond is going to bring us the life and times of the celebrated genius Nikola Tesla, the man who invented the 20th century. So we thought that an element of diffusion that might be a little bit lacking was uh, the history lessons. So hopefully over the next few shows, we will start delving into our beloved scientists of days past. To begin with Nikola Tesla, he's been a busy man. He's done a lot of things. Um, you might have heard of him because his theory formed the basis of modern alternating current electrical power systems. He also really developed the field of electromagnetism, and this resulted in the international system of units measuring magnetic fields B to be called the Tesla. So Nikola Tesla was born in 1856 in Serbia. He studied electrical engineering in Graz in 1875, but then proceeded to drop out in his third year of university and then underwent a nervous breakdown during which he went missing and several of his friends thought he had drowned. A little bit later, he resurfaced. He moved to Budapest and was commissioned to engineer Hungary's first telephone system. Three years later, in 1884, he moved to New York City. He was hired by Thomas Edison, who later became his arch rival. He was offered, supposedly, $1 million US at the time to redesign his inefficient motor generators. Now, when Tesla actually went through and redesigned Edison's motors, Edison actually refused to pay, so Tesla quit. He then proceeded for the rest of the year to dig ditches for the Edison company. A year later, he formed his own company, but then proceeded to get kicked out by investors for wanting to start alternative current motors, which were more efficient but poorly understood at the time. So in 1888, two years after having been kicked out of his own company, he started patenting pretty much everything. So he, he developed the first brushless alternate current induction motor, and he also developed the principle for the Tesla coil. He was hired by George Westinghouse, and he had the idea of polyphase systems, which basically allows for transmission of alternate current electricity over long distances, which he would later use to light light bulbs wirelessly for his presentations, which were always a big crowd pleaser. In 1895, he developed the Tesla generator. He also developed theories concerning the liquefaction of air. Unfortunately, at that time, his lab burned down, and almost immediately afterwards, Lind in Germany filed for the patent of the same process. 
very strange. This is the same time that he became an, a U.S. citizen, and he demonstrated the transmission of electrical energy without wires, which was later called the Tesla effect. He was also in the middle of a quote-unquote war of currents with his now arch-rival Edison, which nearly bankrupted Tesla and Westinghouse. He researched radiation, he created a formulation of cosmic rays, and he filed a patent for radio and spark plugs, which was approved by the U.S. government. However, years later, the radio patent was reversed and given to Marconi. In the 1900s, he begins building his famous Wardenclyffe Tower, which was dismantled for scrap during World War I. The idea behind the Wardenclyffe Tower was to provide wireless energy to everyone, but it was called the Million Dollar Folly by public that turned against Tesla at the time. In 1915, he tried again. He tried to build the Telefunken Tower on Long Island to replace the Wardenclyffe. Now, unfortunately, this was torn down by the Marines who thought that it was being used to transmit information to German spies. And later in his life, he started to develop a teleforce weapon, which was called the Death Ray. The principle was that it was a vacuum that would spread non-dispersed particle beams and target whatever needed to be targeted, so to speak. Uh, he, he tried to sell it to the U.S. War Department, but it wasn't interested. And then he turned to European countries. Likewise, they weren't very interested at the age of 81, he claimed to have completed a dynamic theory of gravity. Supposedly, he'd worked out all of the details, but it was never published. He died destitute in a hotel room at the New Yorker Hotel of heart failure in 1943. Now, he was obviously a very prolific and very brilliant man, and there's, there's definitely a few points of Tesla that... Really, he could be labeled one of the quirkier scientists. Some notable things, uh, he had a photographic memory, and he also did picture thinking, in which he would picture whatever invention he was working on at the time, and he could just work out all of the kinks. He could twist it, he could make it run, he could see where it would leak and where it would get used, and he would basically be able to build everything from scratch perfectly every time without having to draw anything out. He could just think of everything. He was also said to have synesthesia. He would have flashes of light and really intrusive images as a child. And, and later in life, he became obsessed with certain phobias. So he, he hated pearls and um, he hated germs as well. He had a fear of dirt. And oftentimes he needed to repeat things three times. He had a rule of threes. And, and later in life, he did settle in hotel room 3327. He could only stay in places that were divisible by three. He was a lifelong celibate because he said he needed to focus on his science. And he had a fervent love of pigeons. He fed them special seeds in New York Central Park. And at the end of his life, he claims to have been visited by a white pigeon. And he, he actually died soon after that white pigeon was said to have passed away. He was said to also have been very soft-spoken and shy. But conversely, he had these wonderful periods of showmanship and he was very proud of showing off his inventions such as the Tesla coil or the wireless energy. So he's hard to characterize, I'd say. What do you guys think? Well, I have a couple of little bits of stories of Nikola Tesla myself. Um, as you said, he, he did so much. He, he achieved so much and he, he went through a lot of things. The wireless power, had in 1890, he had wireless power to fluorescent lights, which he also invented in his labs. So he's got these evacuated tubes 
with sort of rarefied gas, uh, which is what we use today, and 1890. And wireless power is one of those things that's making a comeback because they've worked out, okay, yes, Westinghouse was concerned that you can't meter if it's coming from a big central generator and it's going through the atmosphere or if it, basically if you're just receiving from one central point, you can't stop people from receiving it. But if you have point-to-point power, then the power only goes where you want it to go and not anywhere else. So it's not wasted and it's not expensive. So they're going to do that for homes. So you'll bring a mobile phone into your house and it'll automatically start recharging from your local wireless power transmitter. Um, He had famous friends like Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. And he invented other things like because he was into resonance and it wasn't just electricity, all these things applied mechanically as well. So, for example, he had the first vibrator. He had a vibrating platform that you could stand on that was insulated from the ground and it would, you know, for invigorating your, your health. And there's a story of Samuel Clemens going to visit him and trying out, standing on the platform and saying, this is, you know, very invigorating. I feel fantastic. And Tesla's saying, it's time to get off now. No, really, you need to get off. And he's like, oh, no, you don't understand how good this is. I need to stay here. No, no, I'm your friend. Please get off the platform now. And then, of course, Samuel Clemens going, um, where is it? Where is it? I need it now. And Tesla pointing around the corner down to the left because standing on the platform too long gave you diarrhea, as everyone in the lab knew. Um, he's also, of course, the court case. He did fight the patents and he fought for a very long time. And in 1943, the Supreme Court finally ruled that Tesla had in fact invented radio and that 15 of Marconi's 16 patents actually belonged to Nikola Tesla. Unfortunately, the verdict only came out after he died. And of course, one of the other famous things he did was his earthquake machine, where he had playing with resonance again and with his vibration platform, instead of having it isolated from the ground, he attached it to some structural columns in the building and he was just interested in seeing when the different resonant frequencies, like when you sing and a glass breaks, it's because it's at the right resonant frequency. When different things in the room would start vibrating and or not as the thing sped up. What he didn't realise was his building was built on sand as was the whole general area, which spread the vibrations, and the whole neighbourhood had an earthquake. And the police were used to strange things coming from Tesla's lab, so they came rushing over, and he had finally worked out something might be wrong when his place started shaking up a lot. He couldn't immediately turn it off because it was powered by compressed air, which was compressed by something else, so there's a big supply of compressed air still to go. So he had to take a sledgehammer to it, and they came in to find him bashing this thing to a, to death, basically, and then ask, wondering what they were there for, because it couldn't be for that. So, fascinating character, very odd and very interesting. And very consistently screwed over throughout the course of his life. Totally, and even posthumously he was screwed over because the history books say that Marconi invented the radio. Tesla's rarely mentioned except for his unit, and they took all his research papers and the things he was working on and said, we have them now because he's a foreign alien because he wasn't a citizen. But he was. That's right. The FBI seized all of his personal property, even though his family in Serbia fought for it. And he was a naturalized U.S. citizen from the age of 35. Yes. So Uh-oh. not treated well. So if the patents are now in Tesla's name, but he, he left no family, 
Um, did he have any brothers or sisters that are now reaping in the rewards from, from these patents, or is it all too long ago? Well, I know that he did have a brother at the time of his death. Uh, I don't... He, he must have benefited from it, from it after 1943, but I'm not really sure. There is a Tesla museum, and there's some Tesla foundations that are devoted to restoring his uh, acclaim in academia. Okay. But I don't know the answer directly. This wireless power, that must have massive attenuation between the source and the and the target, I would think. Depends how you do it. Um, he played with lots of different methods, and he claimed that he was able to use the stratosphere to transmit power long distances without much attenuation, and basically even store power up there for long periods of time. There's a US research project based on that called HARP, High Atmosphere... I've forgotten what their second A is. Um, H-A-A-R-P. Uh, they've got a website, and the conspiracy theorists blame them for causing earthquakes. Oh, right. Well, they, they certainly use radar and, and whatnot up up in their stratosphere. Like the Jindalee over-the-horizon radar in the um, centre of Australia can pick up all sorts of stuff. From Bounces off the ionosphere, that's right. Yeah. So, so we, it, it, it's possible his techniques might have uh, been more efficient than the ones that people have tried to do more recently. But nobody's interested in providing free power to the world. Yeah. Well, he, he was quoted to say, um, throughout space there is energy. Is this energy static or kinetic? If statics, our hopes are in vain. If kinetic, and this we know it is for certain, then there is a mere question of time when men will succeed in attaching their machinery to the very wheelwork of nature. That's right. And there's hints that he was looking at the energy of the vacuum which is a quantum effect that people are still looking at for a source of limitless energy. And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions, or if you'd like to broadcast a story on Diffusion and hear your own voice communicating science on radio, then send email to diffusion at 2SER.com. That's diffusion at 2SER.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com Contributing to the program were Victoria Bond, Mark West and Aaron Cook. Diffusion has been produced in the studios of 2SER Sydney and is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.